Did you know that the words you use on your website can either repel potential clients and customers or draw them in? Sure, having a nice professional design matters, but it's your words that will attract people to read what you have to offer. And if your words resonate with them and they're ready to take action, they will contact you. If you're not attracting enough clients from your website, you may need more compelling website copy. Website copy written by a professional copywriter such as myself can help you attract the clients or customers you need to reach the results you're looking for. To check out my website copywriting services, visit julietaustin.com, J-U-L-I-E-T-A-U-S-T-I-N.com. You're listening to the Businesses in Bloom podcast with Juliet Austin from JulietAustin.com. The place to hear inspiring stories from successful therapists and natural health businesses. You'll hear journeys of struggle, surrender, success, and celebration. And the best part is, you can apply the lessons from these stories to make your business burst with blooms. And now, here is your host, Juliet Austin. Welcome to Businesses in Bloom. This is episode 66. I'm Juliet Austin from julietaustin.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen from Baja, California. She's a therapist and founder of several therapy and training businesses. She is a PhD in clinical psych and has advanced certifications and knowledge in emotionally focused therapy and love science. She's a relationship expert and passionate about helping couples have strong relationships, helping men and women understand each other and developing secure attachment. A certified trainer of emotionally focused therapy, she speaks, consults, and provides training for organizations and therapists around the world. She sees couples for intensive treatment in Baja, California, where she lives. You can see more about her at her website, RebeccaJorgensen.com. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. Um, after all our technical challenges, we finally connected. I'm glad that we've been able to do this. Um, by the way, I just wanted to give you this feedback. Um, my partner with the podcast that I do, the Ask Juliet and Clinton Show, um, and uh, we also do trainings at the Mind Body Training Institute, he just signed up for your course, an online course that you were part of on EFT. Oh, how exciting. Clinton, yeah, Clinton we just, just published a course called EFT Step by Step. Yeah, and uh, he told me that um, uh, he didn't know I was interviewing you until he was telling me about it. And then I said, oh, I'm going to be interviewing her. Uh, he he said that he thought it was very good value and good content. Oh, that's very nice. Very nice feedback. It's yeah. always a bit scary to, you know, put your heart and soul and years of work into something and then launch it and hope that it actually helps, you know. Exactly. Is that is that on is that ongoing or is that the is that the registration for that closed for for right now? No, it's it's an ongoing available course and yeah, people can it's on the launch special right now, so that will be closing soon, but it will be ongoing and available. And what let's just read that what's that website that it's at right now? So the link for it would be um tiny.cc backslash learn EFT step by step. 
tiny cc backslash learn eft step by step ball one or learn eft step by step step by step okay i'll put that in my um in my in your in your bio and stuff but that the the sale the sale for that is closing or the 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 um whatever special price is closing soon yeah the special price is closing there is a i do have a discount code that's good until the end of april which is eft jorg j-o-r-g 50 which is a 50 dollar off coupon so eft j-o-r-g 50 Till uh-huh. April, April 30th. And just for people listening, it's 2017. Okay. Well, we can talk more about that in a minute, but I, um, I just wanted to give you that feedback. Sorry, topic before I That's really nice. <laughs> um, I'll tell them that you appreciated it. Um, so Rebecca, let's start with, you know, back when you decided to become a therapist and how that came to be and how it evolved into becoming a relationship therapist and, um, and then focusing on EFT. Okay. Well, that takes me back a bit. So I was just a natural listener and people like to tell me their problems. I guess I was interested in people and they liked to say, and I, and I listened well. And then I had a friend who was in a very bad marriage, uh, abusive marriage, and she started bringing that those concerns to me. And I started reading. I was always an avid reader about um, uh, anything having to do with people. So my mom was very self-help oriented and always had self-help books around the house. And I, I was an early reader and I was always reading whatever was around the house. So when I had this friend, that was in this really bad marriage. This is, of course, when I was um, out of school, out of high school. And I started going to the library to read about domestic violence. And I and what I read, of course, was very scary. And that she was coming to me and she wasn't getting professional help. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, if, I should know what I'm doing if I'm going to help, if I'm going to help people. And it inspired me really to um, get some more education. And then that led off. That led you on the path. That led me to become a therapist. I was. I had been going. I had been getting some college. Kind of. I was a non-traditional student at that point. I was married, had some children, and I'd going been taking a semester here or there, going on and off. And I really wanted to graduate. And I had all these credits, and I wasn't really sure what my degree would be. And so when this came up, it just culminated with when I was needing to decide my degree. And it was actually my undergrad degree. And I um, switched from social science to psychology at that time, thinking that I would go on, go on and become a therapist. Well, that's great. And did you um, end up specializing in domestic violence at all or not? I, I did some work with that. Yeah, I did do some work with that. It didn't become a specialty, but I certainly did a lot of, I did quite a bit of work with that. It, what it led me to was to work with children because she was a mother of a couple of young children. And I mm-hmm. um, had a lot of compassion for, and she had been raised in a family of violence. And here she was in this intergenerational pattern. And I think it took me to work with children. And um, And did you start a private practice right away or... I didn't know right away. I I became a school counselor to start off with. I had been working in voc rehab. My first job was in voc rehab, and 
I was doing some groups in a small private practice for getting clinical hours and things. But my first real job was with a school district and doing working with children in elementary schools. Hmm, interesting. And then how did that evolve into private practice? Well, um, it didn't take me very many years to figure out that I, I wasn't having the kind of impact that I wanted with those kiddos because they would go back to those abusive environments. And without changing, I could see that I wasn't having the impact that I wanted. You know, things weren't really changing. And so um, where I was living and working, the school district would put up for bid this contract. And um, I just decided that I wanted to be in private practice. Um, I wanted to work with a more general population and not be in the school, only working with children where I felt like I was spinning my wheels. And so I opened a private practice and not too long after that, the school district opened up for bid, um, having the counselors for the district. And I bid my practice bid on that um, contract. And pretty soon I owned a clinic and had a bunch of other clinicians working for me doing the school work, which I could supervise because I'd been doing that work myself and, and got some other a psychiatrist and some other supervisors on board. So I went from into business, you know, from a private practice into kind of full fledged business owner within probably um, five, six years from becoming from my master's degree mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and having work as a therapist. And yeah. then you obviously you you don't do work with children anymore, do that anymore. I don't. I you know, I started to I what I found out in the schools was that I needed to work more with the system to try to help the parents that there wasn't a safe place for those kids to go home to. So I started working um, and in my training was working with families and children, children and families and of course there wasn't the kind of specialty training for couple work that there is now. So I had that interest already with children and families. I started to see um, more couples when I opened my private practice and trying to work with the parents to help the children. And um, that was pretty abysmal. My, my outcome rates were pretty terrible. Um, And so I went back, I started to go to try to get some more help with, you know, how do you help couples? Because I really could see that would make a really big difference in the lives of children. And that took me to John Gottman. And I was living in Washington, and Seattle was not too many hours away. And John Gottman talked about read EFT if you're really interested in helping couples, and you should see this research from Sue Johnson. And so I read Sue Johnson and started to try to apply the principles of EFT. And then you eventually just started, it looks like, I mean, your website now is all focused on relationship Mm -hmm. therapy, right? That's true. And so I... So I um, developed that as a really specialty of practice. And after I got the training with Sue Johnson, I I did go back to school and got my PhD and got some more work, more training, education around experiential practice and worked with Sue, got that training. And I could just feel the difference that, that I could make in the lives of children and the lives of families from the couple relationship. And it, you know, just totally inspired me, sent me on a mission to um, help other therapists know how to help couples, because I think it's so critical to children and families. Right. And so 
right now you're how like approximately how many client hours do you have per week in your practice? Oh, so I do probably about um, oh, probably about twelve, I guess. Yeah, probably twelve to fifteen hours in my practice, um, direct client service, and then I do a lot of supervision, group supervision, online supervision, consultation with therapists, um, and I do quite a bit of training. And the supervision and the training is all in emotion-focused psych therapy for couples. That's correct. Yeah. Yep, that's correct. And are you doing the individual clients from Mexico? Because you said you lived in Mexico. I do, yeah. I um, see mostly clients in, in an intensive format. So um, couples fly in to see me from around the world and spend uh, four days with me. And we do, uh, I do mostly an in intensive format. Uh, with, with just one that couple that one couple at yeah, a time? one couple at a time. I do have some ongoing couples, but because I travel so much, I have to be really careful when in the year I schedule like a new batch of ongoing couples. And um, there's only like a quarter a year that I can do that. They need some consistency, especially in the beginning to, uh, to get your uh, um, alliance and to start to make the yeah. changes. And after that, you know, first first eight sessions or so they can tolerate some of my travel schedule, mm -hmm. but I have to be careful when I, you know, bring on new regular clients, but I can see all throughout the year intensive clients, uh, you know, the weeks that I'm not traveling, it's easy to schedule. So the, the, when you say, uh, when you say weekly clients, are those, those are in Mexico as well? The people that reside, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the people yes, that reside yeah. in Mexico. No, they, I mean, some of them reside in Mexico, but a lot of people will travel over to see me. For weekly like, sessions? I, I, I live so close to San Diego. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Northern Baja, California. Okay. I so. see. Okay, right. Okay, so that makes sense. Um, and, um, you know, it's interesting, You the model you're talking about, people coming to see you for four days uh, and doing intensive. Uh, you know, I have uh, worked with a few people over the years who do that. And, you know, it's you know, congratulations to you for starters, because number one, uh, very few therapists do that and, or even think about doing it. I think therapists, in my opinion, are stuck in this one hour, one hour model, which is, you know, it's fine, but it's not, certainly not the only way to do therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think with couples, especially when they're in crisis, you know, near divorce or just had yeah. an affair, uh, one hour a week isn't going to cut it. <laughs> That's right. They, they need some like ER treatment. You exactly. Know? Emergency treatment. So you probably get a lot of those couples doing this. I do. Yes, yeah. I do. And they, and they do often need follow up. I try to make sure they have follow up care afterwards. And I try to stay in contact with them. And I'm and develop a way to make sure that they get the, you know, get the follow-up because we do get them out of crisis, but then they have to change some ongoing patterns yes. that got them to the crisis to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so that's your client. And then you do supervision. Is that mostly done on, on, uh, on the phone or online with other therapists? Mostly, yeah, mostly online. I do courses and supervision and consultation. Yeah. Online. And so tell us about your courses. We were talking a little bit about one earlier. It sounds like that was a new course. Yep, that's a new course. And it is an, an, a pretty extensive overview of EFT, which um, we talk about it conceptually, but then we show clip by clip, you know, every intervention, 
uh, across the steps and stages and with different couples and different therapists. Wow. So it's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's what uh, Clinton was saying. It was quite, uh, quite comprehensive, a lot of a lot of good material. So that's probably great. the best. I, mean, I didn't do the production of it. Um, Psychotherapy.net did all the producing. I mean, I was on board with that. But you know, they had the, the video editing and all of that. Um, we helped I put, put, we identified clips and did the did the therapy. I did some other therapy and a couple of other my colleagues did therapy. Uh, and wonderful clients who are willing to be part of the project. So it's probably the highest produced, high, you know, most highly produced video training video that psychology's seen. Really, I'm quite proud of the work that all the back end work that got done to support the development of it. And uh, there's other therapists involved in it as well, right? Yeah, that's right. We uh, feature three other therapists working, and a total of six different couples. And do you have other online uh, programs? Yeah, I have a couple other online programs. I have some other courses um, that are kind of evergreen courses, you know, available. And then every every year or so, I try to do some new ones that are live. People can get the archives of them, but they're really meant to be done live. And so lots of times that is, uh, it's all around EFT, seeing EFT therapists work, seeing other therapists or trainers work with um, couples and really trying to spread hope and help people develop the skill to work with couples because it's a very complex unit and it's a very, it's difficult work. Yes, it is, especially those, uh, well, I guess it's, um, all, all couples are difficult, but I think a lot of therapists have trouble with the, with the high conflict couples. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and uh, so, uh, but all your courses and your in-person workshops, if that's what you're calling them, mm-hmm. are all mm-hmm. geared for therapists. You're not doing any training for the general public? I do some training for the general public. I'm asked to do quite a bit of speaking. And so I you know, do quite a bit of speaking. And I do um, in-person workshops for couples and often mostly for couple, for therapists and their partners to come to workshops because therapists have problems in their relationships too. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, they, they're, we like to not necessarily go to a workshop for couples where we're going to run in with, run into our own clients or, you know, there's some safety. And also mm-hmm. there's sometimes a desire for therapists to have their partner kind of get a glimmer glimpse into their work, you know, right. Uh, and there are some very interesting client or therapist partner pairings. I've often went, wondered about doing some research around that pair because it's very similar. It's very interesting to see um, that therapists seem to marry uh, kind of types. You know, I, I don't have it statistically, but it's kind of interesting. Oh, what kind of what kind of uh, types? Well, you have a, often have with? a very people person. You know, the therapist is a very people-oriented right. person, and then the partner is, you know, more not as much people-oriented or more data, more engineer type, you know. Is that what um, your sort of, is that your subjective experience? That's, yeah, not, yeah, that's my subjective experience. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before, but that is, that would be some interesting research, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that, yeah, and I don't know that if that's at all true, but, you know, to have one person that's like, really kind of math and science oriented and one who's people and arts kind of oriented, you know? 
you wonder you wonder why I, I was supposed to say at some point you know I said this to uh, some other couple therapists before it's like sometimes you wonder how how two people can be together at all with you know all the comp- the complexities involved in a relationship um, yeah. and when one's more you know whatever emotion feeling or however you want to define it and one's more kind of in the rational realm Yes, that's right. That's, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, I, I'm probably sensitive. It's probably my personal bias because yeah, that's up in my own marriage, you know, my own relationship. That's like my husband would have little interest in psychology whatsoever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think people are so fascinating and love to know how we tick and what's happening on the inside, you know. So right. that happens in my own relationship. I seem to see that in the people that I'm serving. Right, right. Yeah, that does happen too, doesn't it? Kind of re- yeah. reinforces what you know already, or what you <laughs> what right. you experienced right. already. That's right. Um, so who knows what the research would actually? Say. Yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> well, you know, there's just not enough research on therapists in general. Yes, that's you right. Know, people just aren't studying them. I guess it's hard to get grants for that, or uh, you know, probably. But um, or I don't know. It would be interesting to to do more research uh, on the or see more research on therapists, mm-hmm. a, a variety of different things. Um, so uh, you are a busy person, I, it sounds like. Yeah, I think I'm pretty busy. <laughs> and um, Life is full and rich, and there's so many great things to be doing all the time. Yes, it never ends, does it? And so tell us about, you know, because a lot of people when they're starting a business or they're trying to figure out how to, you know, take the next step in their therapy practice or do c- courses or trainings like you're doing, um, people just can't, you know, get this all the time. And um it's just like, how do you find the time for that? And so I'm going to ask you that. Um, how do you carve out time to see clients, develop courses, etc.? Well, it was really hard at first to do that. And I got a virtual assistant and gave her my dream calendar and said, this is, I want to be able to have time to do this and time to do that. And you know, I, I, my caseload was so full that there really wasn't time to do all the things I wanted to do. And I still was doing quite a bit of teaching. And my teaching often is in the way of follow-up courses or four-day courses or some sort of follow-up training or a conference, you know, lasts for a day or two days and often on the weekends. So I'd end up just, you know, doing not working on that Friday and then working Friday and Saturday. And I said, you know, we've got to do something different with my schedule. And so it took her about a year and a half to, um, you know, take control of my email inbox and my schedule and have an ideal schedule. You know, we just, we really visualized, made a, made, put it on the calendar. What would be the ideal schedule? And then as she would schedule people and as I'd get done with some, clients with we just shifted you know we just really actively worked on shifting my time around well good for you (laughs) Uh, um and uh you know often i mean to do the kind of work you're doing and you know to do a lot of different things you 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 can't just do it do it all yourself and i i see that as another um 
mistake that therapists make is thinking that they can do it all and they can manage their website and they can do this and they can do that and they can manage their schedule and do a course. Um, but you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and you got to spend some time sleeping and eating and doing some other things. <laughs> um, yeah. It's when I got, when I, I did have that mentality too, mm-hmm. that I had to do everything. And I actually like doing everything because I like the variety, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it becomes at some point, it's just not practical anymore. No. And um, so what somebody said to me, something, somebody who used secretaries or assistants or something said to me something that really stuck. And I, I evaluate, I use this to continue to evaluate. Um, there, uh, there's two levels of it. One, what, what can I, can I do that? Uh, do I enjoy it or not? But mm-hmm. also, can I pay someone to do it that I could actually be more productive with my time if I paid them and I did it? And so if I go, well, if I can earn, you know, 175 or $200 an hour doing therapy, then why not pay a virtual assistant to take over my schedule? You know, like mm-hmm. that's not, I, if I spend three hours a day doing email, um, either I can, not do email and have a really nice relaxing dinner and walk around the block and get some swimming in. Um, you or know, or more, I can see more, see clients. more clients. Exactly. Or I can, I can spend two hours uh, doing those other things and one hour seeing clients mm-hmm. and pay for a whole month of someone else doing that work for me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that you have to kind of play with the numbers and understand the math to really see the value of hiring people. And at first it feels like a little more work because you are teaching, you're instructing, you're, it's Mm -hmm. a little bit of double duty at first, but Mm -hmm. it does not take long at all for that to reduce the workload. Just Mm -hmm. doesn't take long. And I think that's what holds some people back, you know, is that there, it is more work to start until you have things set up and the systems all in place. Yeah. Systems are amazing to help us out with these kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And so, um, Tell us a little bit about, you know, you travel a lot and you're doing different courses uh, uh, and teaching and supervising. How do you manage your time? If, you know, how do you, how do you decide when you're doing what? And is that just what you're working with your um, assistant or do you have uh, set times each day, each week that you do certain things? Yeah, at, at the end of every year, I... You, new opportunities start to emerge and new projects and things like that and new locations to go. Um, so at the end of every year, I try to sit down and, and I pull out the the next year's calendar. Um, and sometimes I do this in the middle, you know, like in, in the summertime when I have a, I, I try to take three or four weeks off all the way um, in the summertime. Um, usually ends up being more like three. Uh, the ideal would be four. So I just block that time out and I try to twice a year really evaluate where am I, what, where am I going, what do I want to do this next year, what's my biggest opportunities, how, you know, how can I serve my mission, uh, reach the most therapists, reach the most couples, how do I do that, what, are, where, what am I enjoying most these days, how do I shift. And mm-hmm. um, so there's been some years that I've really um, added you know, some more international travel, for example, because those opportunities have come up or some that I've said, 
I'm not going to teach these courses in these places anymore because I have these other opportunities and I've, and, and there's other people who are willing to come and can do that. So I try to, you know, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm getting better every year about kind of trying to forecast and then uh, block off when are my, when are my travel weeks? When are my at home weeks? And, um, so we'll send out my supervision schedule. You know, we have that pretty well sent out in that advance what weeks. So I do it kind of on an every other week basis. What, when, are, when am I doing that? Which frees me up the in between weeks, either for travel um, or for my other projects mm-hmm. or my clients. Right? Yes, and, um, exactly. And, and, and it's, uh, it can be, I know I, I do a lot of different things too. It can be challenging. I like the variety, as you said as well, um, but it can be challenging switching from all these things and fitting them into the calendar, I know from my own experience. Yeah, I've got like seven different sticky colors for the different kinds of things that I want to block out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of that you um, go back a little bit here in terms of how you you know, got your clients? Because of course, that's something that therapists struggle with is how did you first get your clients? What marketing methods did you use? And do you use now? Uh, although I can assume that when you're doing public speaking, that is marketing in itself. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Uh, but when uh, you So I don't have to do as much direct marketing um, exactly. as I used to. But I moved from Idaho to San Diego. Um, I had this opportunity to help open a center for training for EFT. It's now the Training and Research Institute for Emotionally Focused Therapy, Training Research Institute for EFT Alliant in San Diego. And I had this opportunity to do that. So I quit my, was working at a university. I quit my job um, and dropped my private practice, which I was seeing couples in the evening and working full-time at a university and moved to San Diego. And so it wasn't that long ago that I restarted a whole new practice. And so, yeah, I remember very well, you know, pulling, getting the business card together, um, making the brochures. And what I did at the time, because I've always had a, I, like I'm a tech head, you know, I, I, which is so ironic that we've had so much trouble um, with our technology because I kind of pride myself in uh, being like loving technology and doing pretty well at it. But, so I, at the time, uh, CDs were really big or uh-huh. We were using a lot of them. And so I gathered some of the best articles, wrote some great articles and gathered articles and made them by topics and took them around to um, doctors, some attorneys, uh, pastors, um, churches, service work, people who were in contact with distressed couples and um, and other individuals and said, here, here. And I went around and I met people and left them some handouts and a CD full of articles that they could print up and give to people that they thought might be helpful and just, you know, went around and tried to introduce myself to folks. And you gave them a CD filled with articles. I did. Yeah. I gave them a nice brochure, like a a pocket folder with some couple handouts. And one of the handouts in there was a CD that was nicely labeled and um, had a bunch of articles, self kind of self-help articles, interest articles. So the if you gave it to like a doctor, for example, the doctor would have to print them out and give them to patients. Yeah, I'd have a couple of them printed so they could see, and then things that I thought that they might be interested in, either themselves and for their clients or patients or you know uh, parishioners, whatever. 
And um, yeah, I got lots of feedback that it was very useful. I see. So people were actually printing them out. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Probably people, <laughs> people probably wouldn't do that today. I know. That's right. <laughs> the next thing is that you have to do good work. Yeah, yes. I mean, because the first thing is you create an opportunity for people to know and uh, know you and trust yeah. you enough to send a referral. But then you have to do good work. And if you do good work, then it's all word of mouth after that. So I did keep in contact with some and some not quite as well. But some referral sources, like um, some attorneys, some physicians, some pastors or priests or bishops would refer and want to be following up because they were also providing ongoing support. And so some of them I would stay in very close contact with. And they became, of course, the stronger that relationship, the more referrals they sent as well. Exactly. Now, did somebody tell you to do that? Did you learn that from somebody? Or did you just figure that out on your own to go out and give them these CDs and go meet people? Well, you know, I probably got that from some, I have no idea, actually, I got that. I know the technology piece, not the CD itself, but starting to do things online that um, I had read in Psychology Today something about boutique practices and specialty practices and mm-hmm. um, online services and things like that. And so I know I got some inspiration from some of the things that I was reading about practice building. I was always interested in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. For, good for you for taking the initiative and doing it. I mean, obviously, it's paid off for you. Um, and it's hard work, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard work when you're learning something new. It's always hard and awkward and scary. And then it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wonderful learning whether you, you know, it's just to keep, keep growing and keep making an impact and continue to learn. Yeah, and to be doing what you love to do. Right, exactly. Uh, Rebecca, uh, last question here. Um, what advice would you give to new therapists uh, or therapists struggling to get clients or um, to go on and do, you know, training like you have? Well, I think some of the resources that are available are really, really helpful. So you know, on practice building, you know, mm-hmm. you're providing a lot of things. There's some great, I, I think having a mentor is mm-hmm. so helpful uh, not to try to do things by yourself and alone, you know, having help above you and help below you, you mm-hmm. know, where you some some mentor, and then some support, whether it's a virtual assistant or a secretary, or, you know, some place, I think you need, we need help on both ends. So um, I, I really love mentoring and coaching. And the more I've become interested and worked on courses and expanding my business and learning those things that would help me have a broader reach and get the message um, about couple therapy and effective couple therapy out there, the more I really appreciate mentors. So I think that's, you know, it's, we get that a little bit in school and then it's like we're cut loose mm-hmm. and you're just supposed to kind of do it on your own after that. But I think we should continue to be in community and be con- continue to have people that can, uh, they're a little bit of farther, farther ahead of us and help lead us. Absolutely. Rebecca, thank you so much for doing this. So I do have something for your audience, though, just okay, in the way okay. of the couple therapy part of that. Um, so I do have a uh, like a little brochure, a little booklet on 
the five mistakes that therapists make with couples. Okay, great. And, and that's a download so that, from your site? It's a, it's a download. It's a text. They can text 33444 to Blue Me. Text 33444 uh, to Blue Me? 33444 to Blue Mean. B-L-U-E? No, after your website, Bloom, Blue Mean. Oh, Blue Me. Blue Mean. Blue I did, I did not realize that was so hard to say when I wrote Blooming. it out. Blooming. Blooming. Yeah, Blooming. Sorry. So text to 33444 Blooming. Yeah. Okay, great. Blooming. Well, that's great. And it's five mistakes therapists make with couples. Yep. Oh, excellent. And I'll add that in the, in the show notes too, um, Rebecca. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And thanks for um, all you're doing to help provide more inspiration and education to therapists and people out and around. It's really wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. To get the show notes for this episode, go to julietteaustin.com slash BB66. Thanks for listening to the Businesses in Bloom podcast with Juliet Austin. To tune into future episodes, subscribe on iTunes or at julietaustin.com slash bb. That's julietaustin.com slash bb.